Welcome to IRUN Radio. Coming up, in search of the enigmatic ultramarathoner Al Howie. Uh, the statistics, you know, the one that, that people that do know Howie, that they remember, uh, is his speed record across Canada. So 7,295 kilometers in 72 days, 10 hours. Uh, he's held that record for 28 years. Um, it was only two weeks later, after he finished that run, that he was at the starting line of the longest race in the world at that time, uh, which was the 1300. He shows up uh, at the starting line of this race, and uh, he breaks his own world record by, uh, you know, 15 hours. So it, what, he, what he did was, is he ran 9,387 kilometers in 103 days in eight ounce Brooks Kona. I mean, that's 221 marathons. It's like running the equivalent of uh, Vancouver to Bolivia. You know, he, he ran across Canada and then ostensibly entered a race from uh, New York to Miami. It's just really unthinkable. A race that lets every runner cross the finish line together. Watching all of those people come at you all of a sudden really was just something quite spectacular to see. I mean, again, it's the opposite of way, the way you'd see a run um, happen. So you're watching everybody finish together as opposed to start together. It's great to see people cheering for each other at the finish line, but it's really nice to see that anybody has an opportunity to win. And I think, you know, races traditionally are set up, you know, so like the fastest person wins. And, you know, that's great. And it's really good to encourage competition. But I think it's also really good to encourage each of us to celebrate what our own successes and what our own running paces are. And this is a really great way for everybody to have their own success in running. And 20 marathons after being diagnosed with MS. Running and completing my first marathon on Mother's Day um, in May of that year was a huge thing, a huge success for me in the sense that it was, wow, I was able to do this, my body was able to do this, and this was my way of telling myself that I can overcome this. On this edition of I Run Radio, the enigmatic, elusive, and prolific Canadian ultramarathoner Al Howie ran across Canada. He ran in multi-day endurance tests. He often ran under fake names. We're going to explore his life with the author of a new book about Al Howie. Also, elite runner Sasha Gaulish will join us. We'll talk about her cover story for the upcoming edition of I Run, and we'll have the inspiring story of a runner who just completed her 20th marathon since she was diagnosed with MS. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of I Run, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. How are you this week? Ah, uh, feeling great. Thank you. And, you know, we've got such, uh, we, every week we've got great guests on the show and really inspiring people who are doing amazing things. And I love hearing the stories of other runners, but there are a couple of really interesting and unique stories this week that we're going to share. Uh, first of all, coming up, we're going to talk to an author who has a book about Al Howie, uh, who I did not know a lot about. I had heard the name before, but I mean, here is a guy, you know, who did some incredible long-distance running feats in his career, running across the country in record time, running from Winnipeg to Ottawa, and then participating in a race when he got to Ottawa, which he won. Uh, this, you know, w- uh, there are some, you know, it, it seems like every time you hear about 
somebody who's done something crazy on the endurance level, you know, somebody who's run from point A to point B and it's 6,000 kilometers. You know, we've talked so many times about Ray Zahab, the incredibly inspiring ultra marathoner and adventure runner who's been a part of the Iron family. You know, you then you hear about somebody else who's done something, you know, even more ambitious. It's really funny. They all have their own motivations. You know, they all have their own thing which makes them tick. And it's like no two stories are the same. You know, I mean, yeah. it beats surprise each time. And then the motivations are different uh, in every. I know that and the book is actually very good. The, the author is, is, a, is a very good writer as well. And we'll be extracting the book online too. So I'll be sure to post that with the, uh, with the audio. Okay, sounds good. So we've got that coming up. And then we're going to talk to Linda Uhl Robert who is a runner oh, yeah. in Ottawa who has MS. And when she was diagnosed with MS, she was training for her first marathon, and she went ahead and did it. Since then, she's done 20 marathons. Her 20th was just in Paris last month. And when we were kind of coordinating our interview, uh, Linda wrote, Some people say running is exhausting, but for me, running has always been energizing. It gives me life, and it gives me hope that I will continue to get through this one step at a time. Running and completing my 20th marathon was such an amazing feeling because knowing I have a diagnosis, and yet I was still able to accomplish this goal. One of the lessons I learned from living with MS is to never give up. I love that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, and it's just so... Her, you know, when your heart is in the right place like that, too, she's not running for her time, she's not taking this other whole meaning and provides, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. It makes her feel good about herself, and I love how she eloquently uh, puts her story. Yeah, so she's going to share her story with us, and we'll talk about the Paris Marathon as well. That's a that's a pretty cool event to be running for your milestone 20th marathon. I'd, <laughs> I'd love to do yeah, that one. pretty good. Yeah. And, and then Sasha Gaulish is going to join us as well. And, um, and she, was, uh, she was there for an event that you told me about, this Equalizer Run, the great Equalizer Run that Black Toe Running in Toronto puts on, where they, instead of everybody starting together and then dispersing over the course and finishing, you know, at different times— Everybody starts at a different time based on their expected pace, and then basically everybody kind of bunches up at the end and finishes the run together. It's a good example, too, of what we can do in our community, you know, just to keep it fun and to keep running interesting and exciting. And I love the thing, too, equalizer, the great equalizer, so everybody is equal and you're out there. It's a really bonding experience, and it's also very replicable. It doesn't take that. I mean, it does take a little bit of work to put it on, but anybody can do it. So I like sharing that story because, you know, Plateau in Toronto, which is an independent run shop uh, where I train, but I mean, it doesn't need to be through a club or through anything. You know, you get 10 people and it's great to do co-ed and, and you know, somebody could be older or younger or whatever, but you do it together on the course. And it's, it's very inspiring. It's a really fun afternoon. It's a good way to bring everybody together and to get out. I tell you what, I ran that great equalizer faster and harder than I ran my 10K, which opened my season. So any opportunity, you know, any opportunity to race and get out there is, uh, is good. You never know. Very cool. All right, Ben, I appreciate your time this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, my friend. That is Ben Kaplan, iRun's editor and general manager. Coming up next, the new book on legendary Canadian ultramarathoner Al Howie.
Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, Half Marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton August 17th and 18th and enjoy running in great temperatures, soak in the River Valley views, and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. Al Howie had an extraordinary list of accomplishments in his life, including running across Canada in record time. But why did he sometimes run under fake names? He was an elusive figure, an enigmatic one. Jared Beasley is the author of a new book called In Search of Al Howie and joins us on I Run Radio. Jared, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you very much for having me. So this is an incredible story. How did you stumble upon Al Howie, and why don't we know more about him? Well, there's really two parts to that. Um, why we don't know more about Al Howie is uh, it's just kind of uh, the, the way the times are these days. Uh, he became really a statistic and, um, and then became really a singular statistic and one that uh, most people really don't have any perspective about. But um, how I came into it uh, was really, you know, to, to make it short, was uh, I was born and raised in Alabama, and I went to college there. And uh, when I got out, I moved to New York, and it was like stepping off on the moon. Um, I was a walking panic attack. And um, I think it's a common... Uh, thread that's going around now. I think a lot of people are, are, are really talking about how um, they got into running because of anxiety. Um, but I wouldn't have thought of it, uh, you know, myself. Uh, I, I, you know, was going around Manhattan for several years, was struggling with all kinds of panic and uh, issues. My world was getting really small. Uh, I was living in an 80 square foot uh, little apartment uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And uh, this really eccentric neighbor moved next door to me, and uh, he he looked like a pirate. Uh, he was about five foot six and uh, bald with a little tiny mohawk and uh, gold teeth, and he smelled like alcohol and sweat, and uh, not someone that you would think that you would wind up trusting, but he, he wound up becoming my best friend. And um, his uh, solution to everything was run. <laughs> it was just that simple. Uh, he was that kind of guy. He never had a credit card, never had a, a car, never had a, a real job. He lived really on the fringes of society, but uh, he would go run every day. And so um, I started running with him, and um, it really put a floor underneath me, and things really started getting better from there. And uh, I knew that he, you could just tell by running with him and looking at him, that he had done some incredible things. And... Um, it wasn't until like 11 years later when I was researching one of his kind of crazier stories about running six and seven day races, I, I'd never heard of anything like that, that uh, I found out his last name. He would never tell me his name. He was really enigmatic that way. Um, and so I I wanted to write about him. I'm like, I've got to, people have got to know about this stuff. Uh, the world of Shishimoyan the people that would show up for these races is just just phenomenal. I mean, it was like aliens, like mega distance aliens. And uh, but he didn't want that, and uh, he got pretty emotional on me. 
And uh, he came back and he said, if you want to write about somebody, um, write about Al Howie. And uh, if he's still alive, uh, I'd like to talk to him. And so um, I started looking for Al Howie. I didn't know who he was. And um, then after a month or so, uh, I found him in Duncan in, uh, in a care home. All right. And, and we got to talk about what, I mean, so the story of how you stumble upon this is incredible. And this neighbor of yours who introduces you to running. Uh, but let's talk about Al Howie and some of his accomplishments. I mean, the list of things that he did is staggering, isn't it? Uh, it really is. And um, it, it's just alien. Uh, it's, it's, there are so many different facets to it. Uh, that are amazing, and um, they're really two Howies. There's the the numbers, there's the statistics, which uh, a lot of people uh, don't have the perspective about, and then there was the person himself. Uh, the statistics, you know, the one that, that people that do know Howie, that they remember, uh, is his speed record across Canada. So 7,295 kilometers in 72 days, 10 hours. Uh, he's held that record for 28 years. Um, he started from uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, and he ran uh, all the way across, and he didn't skip um, Prince Edward Island. He uh, went through there uh, and then all the way across, and then he also ran from Nanaimo down to Victoria. Um, so that he has a plaque on uh, Mile Zero, Victoria, and behind it stands Terry Fox, and beneath it, is Steve Fonio, uh, but uh, on the sign um, is Al Howie, and people should know more about it. But the thing then that has always struck me when when I do hear people talk about that record, um, or I read about people writing about the record, is that they they never mentioned that it was only two weeks later after he finished that run that he was at the starting line of the longest race in the world at that time. Uh, which was the 1300, and it was called the impossibility race because nobody had ever completed it. Um, it, it had a, a very strict cutoff of 18 days. Frank Shorter once said it was physically impossible to do, and they ran it for two years and nobody had finished it. And in 89, Howie was the first one to do it, and he did it uh, with like a 15-hour cushion. And he did it in uh, Ron Hill 207s. I don't know if you remember those shoes, but they they were called ballet slippers by other runners. They <laughs> they were uh, basically like a golf glove with a, a little sole, you know, attached to the bottom. But so, uh, in '91, so he held that record from '89. So two weeks after the Trans Canada Run, he shows up uh, at the starting line of this race, and uh, he breaks his own world record by. Uh, you know, 15 hours. So it, what he what he did was, is he ran 9,387 kilometers in 103 days in 8-ounce Brooks Kona. I mean, that's 221 marathons. It's like running the equivalent of uh, Vancouver to Bolivia, you know. He, he ran across Canada and then ostensibly entered a race from uh, New York to Miami. It's just really unthinkable. And he did all kinds of other things as well, and, and you actually did get a chance to talk to him uh, and do interviews with him. What did you learn from, from meeting him and from talking to him, and, and, uh, and what did you learn about him? Because he obviously, he was a, 
an elusive figure. He was an unusual figure, not just because of the running. He uh, he had kind of a, a strange life, didn't he? It, very, very. Um, you know, he, he, he was definitely elusive and for good reason. Um, uh, Howie was an illegal alien until 1987 or really until he got his visa in 88. He married a Canadian woman in 87, Claudia Cole, and then they went to Scotland, back to Scotland, got their paperwork in order and finally came back. So from 73 is when he first uh, came to Toronto, but he didn't really really live there uh, till like 75. He was bouncing back between Turkey and Greece. He was a real hippie uh, living in all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, out, out in the wild, you know, living amongst uh, nature there for, for years. Uh, but he, uh, when, when he did come to Toronto and uh, he was there, and that's where he started running, um, he, he was an illegal alien. He used fake names. He had uh, fake IDs. Uh, he always worked manual labor jobs. Um, and he never stayed with uh, any one job for very long. And uh, that was, of course, not good for relationships. And uh, so uh, he believed that he was running from Interpol, and uh, it turned out that he was. Um, he had a son, and um, he took off with him uh, when his son was four years old, when he was living in England. And um, he, apparently his first wife had a lot of uh, demons that she was dealing with, um, and that was what I learned from him and from other people in his family. Um, and that's why he, he took off with his son. And so um, Interpol finally did catch up with Al, but uh, he was in a much better situation than um, the mother was in. And so things were kind of all forgiven there. But, uh, you know, he, he would enter races. He won races that I found, and, and he, you know, placed in marathons where he was using fake names. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what, what drove him to running? Why did he have such a passion to not just run, but run these crazy distances and, and never stop? Yeah. Well, um, it, well, he used to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Um, and he had a, an addictive personality. He was a massive drinker. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the 1983 beer run, but uh, the people that know how he and knew him back then love to talk about that run. I mean, he uh, was sponsored by Miller Beer. He ran uh, from Winnipeg to Ottawa, uh, you know, 2,200, you know, kilometers. Uh, and they were fueling him with beer. And he was run and according to their rep, he, he was doing 17 beers a day. <laughs> and he entered, he gets to Ottawa, and then he enters the 24-hour race there, and he wins it for the third year in a row and, and puts out 138 miles. Um, but um, but it began with his running by trying to quit smoking, and um, he got really aggressive, and um, he didn't know what to do with his feelings and his emotions. And that really is, uh, when I got to that point in the research, it, it really hit me hard because that's, you know, uh, I got into running because of my anxiety issues. So uh, I'd never thought when I started that... Uh, the guy that I saw, this kind of uh, Norse god-looking figure, you know, larger than life, would have been dealing with something like that and got into it. So uh, once he started running, it, it took off from there. And uh, he entered his first race in uh, 79. So he ran 
uh, three or four years of doing journey runs, like the length of Vancouver Island, uh, a couple of times. Um, and then in 1979, he entered the Prince George to Boston Marathon uh, with Terry Fox and Rick Hansen. So really three of the most famous crossers across Canada, you know, Transcon people were all there at the beginning of that race. And that was the race where Terry Fox, um, you know, announced that, that if he could do that and he wanted to, he thought that he could run across Canada, he could do anything. Wow. And that really inspired Al to keep pushing. And so after that, he was in races and very soon he was in multi-day races and uh, in very, very long races. Well, we've only just touched the surface of this incredible story that uh, that you share in the in the book. Uh, it's it's really powerful stuff, and I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners will be very interested to hear more about it and to read more about it. Uh, Jared, thanks for sharing this much with us, and uh, good luck with the book. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's Jared Beasley, author of the new book, In Search of Al Howie. It will be out this fall. Coming up next, Sasha Gaulish on the Great Equalizer Run and the rise of women-owned independent running stores. Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, Half Marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton, August 17th and 18th, and enjoy running in great temperatures, soak in the River Valley views, and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. It's always great to check in with Sasha Gaulish, the elite Canadian runner who contributes to iRun. This week we're going to talk about a very cool event in Toronto and also the role of women in Canada's independent running stores. Sasha, great to talk to you again. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me back on the show. How's the running going? Uh, The running is coming along. Unfortunately, I suffered from a metatarsal fracture. Um, If you followed my social media story at all, unfortunately, I had a really bad treatment which I then led to me warming up on it and actually fracturing my foot. So I, oh. this is the first week I've actually been back to running. Uh, I've really strengthened my glutes on the bike, and I'm really excited to see um, how that translates into my running. Okay. Well, keep us posted. Yeah. That's uh, That's a tough setback, but I'm sure you will be back to your best condition very soon. Thanks, Mark. So you recently participated in, a, in an event called uh, the Equalizer Run. Tell us about that. Yeah, the great Equalizer Run. So Mike and Maya Anderson of Black Toe Running, uh, they put this event together twice a year, and they do it down on the waterfront. And the idea is that anybody can win. And so you send the slowest people out first, and then you send the fastest people out last. And by, I mean, Mike puts a lot of time and effort into this kind of calculating you know, what people's average speeds are based on workouts and races. Um, basically, you have the entire cohort of people coming at you to finish all at the same time. Um, it's really awesome to see it unfold. So I, because I've been injured, as we just mentioned, I actually did this on my bike. And so I was out at the turnaround cheering for people. And so I got to see the first people come and when, and then, you know, everybody else and I cheered them and I blocked traffic on the Martin Goodman Trail. I was 
probably not liked by cyclists that day, but I don't care. <laughs> I was in it for the runners. Um, and then when the last people came, I jumped back on my bike and I was with Fader Kennedy and we basically, you know, we rode back pretty quickly. So then you got to cheer for everybody again and you got to see how everybody was like coming together. Um, and as people caught up to each other, they were kind of like running together and cheering each other on. It was just, it was such a unique way, not only to hold a race, but to see a race. Um, yeah, so I guess the the idea is that yeah. if if you can if you if if you can run five uh, k in in eighteen minutes and I, I it takes me thirty then then you, I would start twelve minutes before you right and we'd yeah. ideally we'd we'd be approaching the finish line at the same time and it would be a real race so instead of everybody starting together and dispersing over the course everybody kind of starts in a dispersed way and and by the end of the race everybody should be finishing at about the same time. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And it's cool because then people are also cheering for you as you start. Right. But then they, right? but they you've got it, this massive conglomerate of people there. Yeah, so you you're cheering instead of people crossing the finish line kind of in 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 you know one at a time they're starting yeah. in incrementally. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. But does it get yeah. really congested at the end? No, not you know um, unfortunately, it was really hot and humid that day, so we sort of had these, like, three waves of finishers, so right. no. And, I mean, and the event isn't huge, right? It's not your typical race where you've got, you know, thousands of people. I mean, I think Mike and Maya had 50 or 60 people out. So, cool. you know, the Martin Goodman Trail is really wide, and they picked a spot to finish that was um, just in front of, I think they're called the Rose Gardens, um, on the, the lake side of Lake Ontario, of where the lake shore is. So there was lots of room for everybody, so... Um, watching all of those people come at you all of a sudden really was just something quite spectacular to see. I mean, again, it's the opposite of way the way you'd see a run um, happen. So you're watching everybody finish together as opposed to start together. That's awesome. I, I think it's so mm-hmm. creative uh, and uh, and very cool. Uh, and, and just so much more about community. I mean, it. Yeah. You know, it's great to see people cheering for each other at the finish line, but it's really nice to see that anybody has an opportunity to win. And I think, you know, races traditionally are set up, you know, so like the fastest person wins and, you know, that's great. And it's really good to encourage competition, but I think it's also really good to encourage each of us to celebrate what our own successes and what our own running paces are. And this is a really great way for everybody to have their own success in running yeah. But literally be the person to cross the line first. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, I know you are yeah. also working on a cover story for iRun about independent female running store owners. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Black Toe is, uh, is owned and operated by uh, Mike and Maya Anderson. Um, and Maya really is just this, you know, she's a fierce female. Um, she really, she knows what she wants. She really knows how to bring together community and she really just wants to make the world a better place. And so the idea came from that. And then, you know, Ben really started reaching out to, to other store owners across the country. And, you know, the way of the independent store, you know, it's, it really has a hard time, right? We're, we're in this, you know, E world where people are always looking for the best deal on whatever they can find. And, you know, the small independent offers something so much more than you could ever find um, on on in an online shopping experience and this idea of bringing people together and you know it's you know men and women you know we're the same but we're different and you know having these strong female leaders in the community is really awesome for a variety of reasons for getting more female runners out there for young women to know that you know 
if you are so passionate about running that you want to own a running store, you can do it because here are all these incredible examples across the country. I think that's great because, as you say, there is... Uh, A lot of pressure, obviously, on retail businesses. I was talking to somebody just the other day about this, about how uh, you really, uh, in retail now, you either have to be really small or really, really big to be successful. You either have to be Walmart and Amazon, or you've got to be a little boutique that caters to a niche audience that's very loyal where you can offer a great deal of, of a personal touch and and uh, and have great relationships with their clients and build a community. And that sounds like what you're talking about here. Yeah, and, you know, so, you know, I'm coming back to running and I need to find a pair of shoes that sort of takes some pressure off my metatarsal. And, you know, Maya said, you know, whenever you have time and you can come to the store, let me come meet you. And, like, you cannot put a price on that. Like, that's just, it's just worth so much. And she said, you know, what do you think is the best shoe that you want to buy? And I was like, well, I think it's this one. And she's like, well, I think it's this one, and here's why. And it was, you don't get that in an online shopping experience. And it was also just, you know, it was nice to say to Maya, like, listen, like, I think I also want to buy these shoes because they're pretty. And for a long time, you know, I was embarrassed to say that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I'm okay celebrating my inner girl to be like, I'm going to buy those shoes because I really like that pretty blue color. Oh, and they're really working for my foot. So, you know, that 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 independent shop is going to be able to offer you um, that service. And it is a service, and it's a really important service in our industry. Yeah, and it's interesting. We were just talking about the great equalizer, and and I think that while there are still many issues around gender in our sport, and we've talked about many of them, and uh, you always have... Uh, such a powerful perspective on that. Uh, there is something about running that is an equalizer too, isn't? Isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the participation rates. It's really incredible in running. I think actually more women run than men when you look at the breakdown in terms of races. Yeah. Recreationally, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would suspect that they're they're quite even across the genders. Um, and I think it's something to be celebrated. But you have to continue to support that. So. You know, I look at the cycling industry, and I'm still a big part of the Morning Glory Cycling Club, and, you know, our numbers for women are dropping drastically, and I think it's because we don't have those leaders like the Maya Andersons, the Lynn Burks in the communities that draw the women in. And so even though it's doing so well, we still really need to pour lots of care and attention to making sure that we still foster this female environment. And are there a lot of independent running stores owned by women in Canada? So I don't quite have the research on that yet, but I'm I'm learning more and more about the independent stores, and it, it almost seems like um, there's more women running these stores. Um, or I don't know what the reasons might be. Um, maybe I, it I arises out of their passion, and and yeah, I was just you know, going to say that yeah. there's this passion and drive and love for what they're doing, um, and maybe even you know the you know for lack of a better word, these gender roles where you know, in a sense, they can chase their passions. And, you know, we feel, I think women feel really comfortable chasing after their passions where perhaps male, maybe men can learn from us and say, hey, I really like seeing what women are doing in terms of chasing our passions. I don't have to chase that, you know, conventional, traditional male role job. And so we actually have these female leaders that are going to lead a whole new industry. Yeah. And I think the other thing that probably 
plays to the strengths and, and appeals to a lot of women uh, about uh, about having an independent running store would be the fact that it's as much about building a community and building relationships mm. as it is about, you know, moving product, right? Totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's sort of like if you run enough races, the times will come. If you build a community, the people will come. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, Women are phenomenal community builders. Don't get me wrong. There's some great men out there doing it too. But, you know, I just think in terms of nature, nurture, and, you know, look at, you know, thousands of years of evolution. I think, you know, women traditionally are the community builders. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great stuff. Looking forward to this story, Sasha. And I hope your recovery from injury uh, continues to go well and that uh, you enjoy your new shoes as well. (laughs) I'm I'm actually heading out on a run with them shortly. Okay, good stuff. All right, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Sasha. Thanks, Mark. That's elite Canadian runner and iRun contributor, Sasha Gullish. Coming up next, a woman who has completed 20 marathons after being diagnosed with MS. Travel to Edmonton this August to run the Friendly Marathon. Why? The Service Edmonton Marathon Race Weekend has events for the whole family. A Boston Qualifier Marathon, Half Marathon, Army 10K, 5K, and ABC Kids event. This event takes pride in being more personal, more genuine, more fun. Be in Edmonton August 17th and 18th and enjoy running in great temperatures, Soak in the River Valley views and the amazing energy as you race through downtown towards the finish line. Register at edmontonmarathon.ca. Linda Uhl-Robert learned she was suffering from MS 20 years ago. Despite the initial alarm over her diagnosis, she has since run 20 marathons. Her 20th was just a couple of months ago in Paris. And Linda has learned a lot about how fitness and nutrition affect her health. In fact, she's become a nutrition coach. Linda, thank you for being with us on I Run Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. So tell me about your diagnosis with MS 20 years ago. What, what happened then and, and what were you told at the time? How did you expect it to change your life? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question, a question I'm asked quite a bit. Um, so 20 years ago, I guess it was um, quite, it came quite sudden. Um, I woke up with, it was almost like a paralysis in my right side of my face, which um, had limited speech. I couldn't talk. So I went to, at the time, so I was 30 and I had just had a baby. So she was a year old. So I went to grab her from the crib in the morning and I could not pronounce the words. Um, just my, I was fumbling my words. I thought, oh my God, I must have got, maybe had a stroke during the evening or whatnot. So I, I, yeah. I took my daughter. That's really scary, isn't it? It is very scary. Yeah. Um, so I immediately, you know, picked her up and I rushed to the mirror and looked at myself in the mirror and just tried to smile and I could smile. Like half my face was not working properly. So I thought, okay, yeah, there has to be a stroke. So I called my um, my GP at the time, a general practitioner, and they, um, she was really, really good. She's like, well, Linda, you know, I tried to mumble or whatever on the phone, and she's like, come right in. So I went in to see her, and she, you know, did a whole bunch of little tests or whatnot, and she's like, I don't think you had a stroke. She asked me to go to the um, to the hospital, so I rushed there. So they put me through tons and tons of tests. So I was really fortunate to be able to be seen right away and to be put in the system right away. And then that's when the neurologist came into my room at 1030 that night, that same night, and said, 
well, based on your tests and whatever your images, um, you have MS. So there you go. <laughs> and what did you think that meant at the time? And and uh, oh and then God. we can talk yeah. a little bit about how you went from yeah. there to completing twenty marathons, which is in incredible. I know. So yeah. Um, well, at that time, I mean, the first when I was told that I had MS, the first image that popped in my mind was a lady in a wheelchair. Why? Because the only time that I ever heard the word MS was when I was in grade three. And in primary school, we had a fundraising campaign thing, and it was a readathon program. And then at the end of the campaign, then we had a presentation of someone that came to thank us for participating and thank you for uh, thanking us for raising a whole bunch of money. And this lady that came to thank us had MS, and she was in a wheelchair. So that's the image that stayed in my mind <laughs> all those years, right? Yeah. So when I was told, I was like, oh, my God that I just kind of saw my future flash in front of me. And it's like, you know, is that what my future is going to be, right? Um, there's that fear, right? Because you don't know what's there. So that night we went home, my husband and I, I fall and cry and cry and cry. We spent the weekend um, searching the internet for answers, for, for solutions. I felt like my future had already been determined for me by looking at all the images and looking at all what was being told by testimonials of people that already had MS. It was all very sad. Like, they didn't talk about the lifestyle changes that you could do. Like, it wasn't a holistic approach at the time. Is very just medical and just very, very, yeah, scary. Um, so... You know, so how did that change going... for you? How did you end up g going from that place to being a runner and defying the odds and being so active and, and having such a successful running career? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, when I was um, first diagnosed, I was actually training for my first marathon. I had completed 19 kilometers then. So this was in February. I started the clinic with the running room to train for my first marathon, right? Um so this was in February, and I, when I was diagnosed, and I was already, um, I had already completed 19 kilometers. And I remember after the two weeks when I was, I had my appointment with my neurologist. It's like, oh my god, what do I do? Because the research that I was reading online was saying, no, 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 no. you know, if you're overheating, your body is not good for you. You should not do strenuous exercise because it could be detrimental to you. It could make, it could trigger an MS attack. So you really don't want to do that, you know. So I was like, oh, what do I do? So I talked to my neurologist, and he didn't really discourage me or encourage me. <laughs> it was more like, yes, this is what research is showing. Yes, you don't want to increase your body temperature. Um, so you have to be careful. So, you know, I remember going home and thinking, oh, God, so you're asking me what, you know, what kind of pushed me forward. I think what really pushed me is that I thought of my local hero, Terry Fox. So a little voice I remember inside of me told me that I couldn't stop either. He never stopped, so I'm not going to stop either, right? So sure, I guess I could have chosen to remain a victim to my illness, but I chose to actually overcome it. So I think that I went back outside, I went back to my training, and I just... People would ask me what was wrong and because I couldn't speak. Luckily, it was in the wintertime, so I ran with a balaclava so I could hide. And if they would speak to me, it was like, oh, I have a big, bad, bad tooth infection. 
So throughout my whole training, everyone just thought I had a really bad tooth infection because I wasn't speaking properly. Wow. I never really shared it with anyone because I never really was that close with anyone. You know, and, and you're afraid when you, you, you're given this diagnosis. I didn't want people to, to kind of victimize me or to say, oh, you know, I don't know, yeah. or to t- treat me differently or whatnot. So, um, so I think for me, running and completing my first marathon on Mother's Day um, in May of that year was a huge thing, a huge success for me in the sense that it was, wow, I was able to do this, my body was able to do this, and this was my way of telling myself that I can overcome this disease. So now you've done, I mean, doing that first one obviously was a huge milestone, but to sustain that over the next 20 years and to have run 20 marathons. So what did that 20th marathon mean to you, the one in Paris? Oh, my God. That was just, that was just, it's just, I'm so proud of myself because it's like, wow. But just finishing it was like, oh, my God, I did this because this this had been my ultimate it kept me going over the this past 20 years it was always kind of my ultimate goal so if i can get to 20 marathons then i know i'm doing well right um and are you doing well running, am i doing well yeah. i am good for I've you i've been very fortunate and it's not just exercise this past 10 years so yes the first couple 10 years i still ran but i went up kind of my ms symptoms were ms it was through like going through a little roller coaster like i'd either have a lot of numbness or tingling or uh, loss of um uh vision in one eye like just different little symptoms that would just creep up during stressful times or if i was overworking myself or whatnot so um it was never gone, right? It, there was always a little something to say, hey, you're, there's something. <laughs> it's almost, I always tell people that, you know, when they ask me, hi, Linda, they see me, I look all fine. How are you? I, I always feel like saying, oh, I'm really fine, but the MS ghost is always harassing me. Yeah, you know, sure. He's always there. <laughs> now, Linda, what can you tell us about the, Paris, about the Paris Marathon? Uh, just tell us about the experience of running that. You know what? I must say that of all the marathons that I've run, um, I that is the one that I think I enjoyed the most because I was there. I don't know. It was kind of like, wow, I had built myself up. I was there. I was full of energy. Um, I wasn't hurting because I had a hard training during the winter time, and that's why I was fearful for this marathon. I didn't know if I was able to co- complete it. But then once I got past 10K, I was like, wow, I'm doing great. So I was in the moment. I appreciated everything that was around me. It was, yeah, you know, Paris is beautiful so the scenes were just beautiful the people um the energy was just i just kind of soaked it in like every every second i just soaked it in as much as i could because i'm thinking you know what this is probably going to be in my mind my last marathon um and i'm okay with that because i've trained for that but then now today is like hmm maybe i could train for another one but i don't think i will i i think i want to keep that that was my my last one. But you'll keep running? Oh, I, yeah, I'm still running. Yeah. I'm still running. Um, uh, but I think I'll just cut back and do 21K. Okay. Because oh, the years have kind of caught up to me. I'm more in pain. I know that there's more inflammation in my body. Um, 
you know, nights are more difficult for me now. You know, just those little things. So as much as I kind of try to, yes, I'm running to help myself, but I've also put a lot of energy in changing my diet. So 10 years ago, so another, I think, piece to this MS puzzle that's really kept me going is changing my diet. So nutrition has really um, helped, is very helpful. Well, Linda, it's a remarkable story. It's so inspiring. Well, thank you. I congratulate you on what you've done over the last 20 years. Thank you so much for joining us on IREN Radio. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Linda Uhl Robert of Ottawa, who ran her 20th marathon in Paris. I hope you can join us next week on IREN Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.